Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of my conversation with Dan Dix about environmental justice, about ambient monitoring, and about cumulative risk assessments. Let's get into it. Dan, let's get into another aspect of this potential tie-in between EJ, ambient monitoring, and modeling, because we can't talk about ambient monitoring without also talking about an air quality modeling component to it. And I'm going to start this part of the conversation by thinking about a recent example. This occurred about six months ago, roughly, of a recycling facility in Chicago that was going through an air quality permitting process. EPA stepped into that process with Illinois and suggested that that permit issuance be halted because the permitting process did not properly account for cumulative risks associated with the facility in this area that is considered an EJ area. So it's a very unique situation because you had EPA directly stepping into a specific permitting process for a specific facility and pausing it on the basis that this concept of cumulative risk had not been assessed. And when I think about environmental justice and where it's headed, I believe that cumulative risk piece on these EJ communities is going to be a big factor in it. So the question becomes, what does that mean? What Mm -hmm. does a cumulative risk assessment mean? If you ask different state agencies and different people just around this industry in general and different public stakeholders, if you asked 100 of them, you might get 100 different answers about what a cumulative risk assessment means because it's a very broad topic. So I wanted to make sure we addressed it here to start giving folks a sense for what these typically mean and what these typically look like. So Dan, I'll start with a very, very broad (laughs) question. From your perspective and from your dealings in the permitting and modeling process, what has a cumulative risk assessment typically meant in general? What are the big pieces of it? Yeah, I I kind of think about it in two steps. And so when I think about cumulative, it's, you know, adding up the impacts from different pollutants to evaluate that combined risk. And I'll say currently a lot of permitting programs have you look at it on a on a pollutant by pollutant impact basis. I look at modeling NO2 nitrogen dioxide, and I compare it to the NO2 NAx. Separately, I evaluate an air toxic, say formaldehyde, and I compare that to the formaldehyde threshold. Cumulative, to me, then means evaluating all those, you know, different pollutants that can be emitted from a facility, and then evaluating them individually, and then rolling them all up into a, this is the cumulative risk from all the different pollutants that can be emitted from a facility. And that is how some air toxic, state air toxic programs are currently set up. 
So that's and that's that's looking at cumulative impacts from one facility. So that's one. Two then, and I think this is where the question that people that are potentially impacted by the facility and why they're raising it is what is the impact from this facility? What is the impact from what, you know, this other facility over here and this proposed facility across the street? When I add all those together, now what is that cumulative risk? And I'll say the permitting programs are pretty well set up to do that for criteria pollutants. But on the air toxic side, that's where you don't see as many requirements right now to evaluate facility, you know, multiple facilities, cumulative impacts with regard to, to air toxics. So this is a roll-up mm-hmm. of the collective impacts of a multitude of pollutants. The other thing I hear, Dan, the other term I hear occasionally is the concept of multi-pathway yep. risk assessment, which I think is another piece of maybe what EPA is is thinking when they mention cumulative risk. So we get the cumulative piece, walk through the multi-pathway piece and how that is typically looked. Yeah, I mean, historically for me, you know, being an air quality modeler, I've just been involved in one of those pathways and that's the inhalation pathway, what is being emitted and then what potentially is the general public inhaling. The multi-pathway, which we're seeing more and more of, and I was working on a project this morning in in California where there are programs that require evaluation of multi-pathway, now includes, okay, I have a airborne emission. That emission lands on the ground through deposition, and that ground is somebody's garden where they're growing carrots, and then they're eating the carrots out of that. So that's ingestion. That's a another pathway. Or, you know, another pathway is farming is a, is a big one. You've got, I've got chickens because of the pandemic out back now. Same thing. That's deposited on the ground. The chickens are potentially eating that contaminant. They're laying eggs, and then we're eating those, those eggs. And then it's just straight dermal as well. I think you're, you're touching it as well. So, that that is the multi pathway that just, it goes beyond just the inhalation. But what are the other ways that a airborne pollutant can eventually impact the general public? This is interesting, Dan, because you think about the different requirements associated with the Clean Air Act that facilities have always encountered and complied with over time. And typically, in most locations, cumulative risk assessments are not necessarily part of those requirements. There are requirements that address toxics, Mm -hmm. maximum achievable control technology standards. So facilities control those toxics emissions. They comply with the MAC standards. They comply with the National Ambient Air Quality Standards through NSR. So you could have situations where facilities are complying with – Everything under the Clean Air Act, everything in their permits, but if they enter into an EJ process or a process that involves cumulative risk, this is really, in a lot of cases, outside of that process. So there could be a facility that complies with every single condition in their permit, that uh, complies with every single regulation that covers them, 
but there may still need to be some work done around cumulative risk because it's just a it's a different way of looking at it. It's a different venue. Mm-hmm. But but you mentioned Dan that there are some places where this actually is woven into mm-hmm. the requirements for facilities as they operate and grow. California is one of them. Can you talk a little bit about what's required there and some of the tools that are offered out there? Because California, I believe, actually has some tools that facilities in other parts of the country that are getting involved with these cumulative risk assessments because of EJ requirements or otherwise. I think California has some tools available that people can use. So can you walk through that and maybe other tools that might be available? Yeah, absolutely. And as you might expect, you know, the more and more pathways we're evaluating, just the more and more complicated this evaluation gets. And so that gets back to educating the public and and the stakeholders on how these analyses are being done. And just like you indicated, California's, like they usually do, is leading the way with some of the tools that they have developed. So they've got programs developed where you can do a multi-pathway analysis. And I'll say it's it's kind of it's a screening level analysis. There are a lot of because it is so complicated to evaluate multi-pathways, there are some conservative factors, assumptions that go into how to determine your exposure to eating chicken eggs from the, the backyard chickens that, that you have that were potentially exposed. And simple software that California has set up that is just, it's almost like a checkbox menu of this is where the site is located. These are the potential pathways that exist around this facility. So I'm going to evaluate X, Y, and Z pathways for this facility. And again, it's, I would characterize it as still screening in nature. A lot of the ways that they're evaluating this is percentages. You know, so much percentage of what is in the air gets deposited on the ground. So much percentage of what's on the ground gets ingested by chickens, and and so much of that ends up in the eggs. For you know, to continue with the the chicken analogy, it's a screening tool that provides kind of an upfront menu mm-hmm. that you could pick from. Yep. That that then applies some conservative assumptions to it. I assume based on your specific emissions of certain compounds, correct? Yep, and that, that that's exactly it as well. And honestly, that's kind of where it starts. Is depending on the type of facility, depending on the potential profile of emissions. There's a whole different you know set of potential end pathways that that uh, original pollutant is going to impact. So that absolutely goes into it as well. As as well as, and I think this is important as well, is when I'm evaluating those impacts, there's different ways that I'm evaluating them. Acute, you know, what is the just the short-term impact? Chronic, what is the you know long-term impact if I'm exposed to the this over a 70-year period? And then also the the physical location I'm evaluating worker exposure, for example. I'm, I'm just going to be exposed to this for a 40-hour work week versus residential. I'd live here and could potentially live here for the next 70 years of my life. So again, it, it gets complicated quickly, but, I, but I, I do think that these screening tools have done a good job of doing a comprehensive 
analysis of evaluating all the different, you know, parameters for multi-pathway assessment. And that's a screening tool. So that could be helpful going beyond screening to something that is a more refined risk assessment type of process. It's an air quality modeling type of evaluation with maybe some of the models that we're used to using for some of the other permitting. It's refining emissions rates. It's in the end, I believe, Dan, assessing it's a cancer risk type of assessment in the end. Just walk through that more refined process a little bit and what that looks like. Yeah. And then I'll just go back and touch on, you know, the, the, the California tool, you're running AirMod, which is UCPA's near field dispersion model. And that's it. You're running AirMod and then you're doing screening to evaluate multi-pathways. AirMod has the ability to do deposition modeling. So there's a there's an example of where you could go in and do more refined deposition modeling than using some of the screening factors that, that California has put out there. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, we're assessing risk and we're rolling that risk up into a single number. And it's for the long-term risk, it's carcinogenic risk or a non-carcinogenic risk. And states and EPA have established what they view to be an acceptable risk threshold. A common acceptable risk threshold is one in a million, you know, one in a million chance that you're being uh, impacted by this pollutant that then could have the potential to adversely impact you. And and that's ultimately what you're evaluating with these risk assessments is a a risk number and and then there is a established threshold that you're comparing against. Dan EPA's EJ screen tool has a number of indices that it presents in terms of different criteria that that the general public can look at from a EJ risk standpoint. I think there's going to be more awareness of this cumulative risk process right. by all stakeholders in the permitting process moving forward. So there may be the need to do some proactive type of cumulative risk assessments if we're entering into projects where we know that you know risk assessment could factor into the evaluation and could be something that becomes part of that EJ process. So certainly there's some screening tools to do that. And once again, from a project planning perspective, from a permit renewal standpoint, these are all good conversations to have. Do we want to proactively look at some of this information going into that process. So, But is there anything else, Dan, that you would have in terms of advice for folks that are thinking about risk assessments or thinking about planning ahead? Yeah, in that theme of planning ahead, I think, like like I said, in, in attending the, the public hearings and in, in engaging with the, the general public when I'm trying to describe modeling impacts or cumulative impacts, what I am seeing some clients do is be proactive. And like Colin mentioned, right now there's not regulatory framework in a lot of agencies to do cumulative impact assessment, but clients are electing to, to do them so that they understand what their impacts are. And, you know, for if you have a project or you end up submitting a permit application and you're, you are in front of the public during a hearing, you can say, Yes, we did, you know, on our own proactively look at the cumulative impact, even though it wasn't required, but we wanted to under 
stay in it. That you know, that's that's being a good steward uh, to your community to you know understand that and be able to uh, put everybody at ease that that's been evaluated and make the permitting process go that much easier. And that's that's what we're seeing some clients be uh, more proactive in doing. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. I think we covered two big pieces of of environmental justice and stakeholder involvement between monitoring and modeling and risk assessments. We really hope that these topics were helpful to hear, helpful to understand, and help folks plan ahead even a little bit more for some of their upcoming projects. So thanks, Dan. Thanks for joining me, and thanks, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.